God is glorious in His saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Dr. Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints, from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we commemorate St. Theodore of Tarsus, Archbishop of Canterbury. Tarsus is a city in modern-day Turkey, most famous for being the hometown of the Apostle Paul. Canterbury is, of course, in England, the seat of the Archbishop who leads the English Church. St. Theodore is, therefore, associated to two cities that are 2,000 miles apart. Believe it or not, this isn't a record. The distinction goes to the 20th century Russian saint, John of Shanghai and San Francisco, whose two cities are about 3,000 miles apart. Saint Theodore was a Greek monk from Tarsus, born sometime in the early 7th century. Tarsus was then part of the Roman Empire, but in Theodore's lifetime, would be conquered by the Persian Sassanid Empire. Not much is known about Theodore's early life, but we know that he received a good education and was living as a monk in Rome. In his late 60s, he was chosen to be the Archbishop of Canterbury and would end up being one of the most important and beloved people to hold that post. He was actually the second choice for the position. Adrian, an abbot, was the first one chosen, but he declined the post and recommended Theodore instead. The English hagiographer, Reverend Alban Butler, recounts this story. After the death of St. Deusdedit, Archbishop of Canterbury, Oswy, King of Northumberland, and Egbert, King of Kent, sent a virtuous and learned priest named Wigard to Rome that he might be consecrated bishop and duly confirmed to that important see by the Pope himself. Wigard and most of those who attended him died in Italy of the plague and Vitalian, who then sat on St. Peter's chair, pitched upon Adrian, abbot of Neridian, near Naples, to be raised to that dignity. This abbot was by birth an African, understood Greek and Latin perfectly well, and was thoroughly versed in theology and in the monastic and ecclesiastical discipline. But so great were his fears of the dignity to which he was called that the Pope was compelled by his entreaties and tears to yield to his excuses. He insisted, however, that Adrian should find a person equal to that charge and should himself attend upon and assist him in instructing the inhabitants of this remote island in the perfect discipline of the Church. 
How edifying and happy was this contention, not to obtain, but to shun such a dignity. Adrian first named to the Pope a monk called Andrew, but he was judged incapable of the necessary fatigues on account of his bodily infirmities, though otherwise a person extremely well qualified. There was then at Rome a Grecian monk named Theodore, a native of Tarsus in Cilicia, a man of exemplary life and well-skilled in divine and human learning, and in the Greek and Latin languages, who was 66 years old. Him, Adrian presented to the Pope and procured him to be ordained bishop, promising to bear him company into England. Theodore, being ordained subdeacon, waited four months that his hair might grow, that it might be shaved in the form of a crown, for the Greek monks shaved their heads all over. At length, Pope Vitalian consecrated him bishop. On Sunday, the 26th of March, in 668, and recommended him to St. Bernard Biscop, who had then come a third time to Rome, but whom the Pope obliged to return to England with St. Theodore and Adrian in order to be their guide and interpreter. They set out on the 27th of May, went by sea to Marseille, and from thence by land to Arles, which they were entertained by the Archbishop John. Till Abroin, mayor of the palace, had sent them permission to continue their journey. Saint Theodore passed the winter at Paris with the Bishop Agilbert, who had formerly been Bishop of Winchester in England. By his conversation, the new Archbishop informed himself of the circumstances and necessities of the church of which he was going to take upon him the charge. He also learned the English language. Egbert, King of Kent, hearing his new Archbishop was arrived at Paris, sent one of the lords of his court to meet him, who having obtained leave of Ebroin, waited on him, the port of Quentevic in Ponthieu, now called Saint-Jos-sur-Mer. Theodore, falling sick, was obliged to stay there some time. As soon as he was able to travel, he proceeded on his voyage with St. Bernard Biscop and took possession of his see of Canterbury on Sunday, the 27th of May, 669. The English historian, Bede, wrote very admirably of St. Theodore, and his ecclesiastical history is the main source by which we know of St. Theodore. And this is also the main source we will use for this episode. In this passage, Bede describes St. Theodore's work as Archbishop, helped along by the abbot Adrian. Theodore arrived at his church the second year after his consecration, on Sunday the 27th of May, and held the same position 21 years, 3 months, and 26 days. Soon after, he visited all the island, wherever the tribes of the Angles inhabited, 
for he was willingly entertained and heard by all persons, and everywhere attended and assisted by Adrian, he taught the right rule of life and the canonical custom of celebrating Easter. It was the first archbishop whom all the English church obeyed, and for as much as both of them were, as has been said before, well read in sacred and in secular literature, they gathered a crowd of disciples, and there daily flowed from them rivers of knowledge to water the hearts of their hearers. And together with the books of Holy Writ, they also taught them the arts of ecclesiastical poetry, astronomy, and arithmetic. A testimony of which is that they are still living at this day some of their scholars who are as well versed in the Greek and Latin tongues as in their own in which they were born. Nor were there ever happier times since the English came into Britain, for their kings, being brave men and good Christians, they were a terror to all barbarous nations, and the minds of all men were bent upon the joys of the heavenly kingdom, of which they had just heard, and all who desired to be instructed in sacred reading had masters at hand to teach them. From that time also they began in all the churches of the English to learn sacred music, which till then had been only known in Kent. Theodore, visiting all parts, ordained bishops in proper places, and with their assistance corrected such things as he found faulty. St. Theodore was a monk of great learning, so it is no surprise that he encouraged education and founded schools during his time as Archbishop. Here is an account by Reverend Butler, focusing on St. Theodore's commitment to promoting education and learning. St. Theodore was the first Archbishop of Canterbury, after St. Augustine, who presided over the whole Church of England. He was founder of a most famous school at Canterbury, which produced many great men. For Theodore and Adrian themselves expounded the scriptures and taught all the sciences, particularly astronomy and ecclesiastical arithmetic for calculating Easter, also how to compose Latin verses. Many under them became as perfect in the Latin and Greek languages as they were in their own tongue. Britain had never been in so flourishing a condition as at this time since the English first set foot in the island. The kings were so brave, says Bede, that all the barbarous nations dreaded their power, but with all such good Christians that they aspired only after the joys of the kingdom of heaven, which had been but lately preached to them. All men's minds seemed only bent on the goods of the life to come, to use the words of our venerable historian. St. Theodore established schools in most parts of England, and it is hard to say whether we ought to admire the zeal and unwearied labours of the pastors, or the docility, humility, and insatiable ardour of the people, with whom to hear, to learn, and to practice seemed one and the same thing. St. Theodore also had to play peacemaker. 
since at this time there was no United Kingdom of England. Instead, England contained many kingdoms that occasionally warred against each other. Bede recounts him putting an end to a war between King Egfrid of Northumbria and King Ethelred of Mercia. In the ninth year of the reign of King Egfrid, a great battle was fought between him and Ethelred, king of the Mercians, near the river Trent, and Elfwin, brother to King Egfrid, was slain, a youth about 18 years of age, and much beloved by both provinces, for King Ethelred had married his sister, Ostritha. There was now reason to expect a more bloody war, and more lasting enmity between those kings and their fierce nations. But Theodore the bishop, beloved of God, relying on the divine assistance, by his wholesome admonitions, extinguished the dangerous fire that was breaking out, so that the kings and the people on both sides being appeased, no man was put to death, but only the usual malt, that is a penalty, paid to the king for his brother that had been killed. And this peace continued long after between those kings and their kingdoms. One of St. Theodore's most significant accomplishments was in calling the Council of Hertford in 672 or 673. This council was the first to be attended by bishops from all over England. King Egfrid of Northumbria was also present. This council established the unity of the English church by laying down rules concerning authority and structure in the church. This was crucial because the church in England was very divided before Theodore's time. Here is an excerpt from the proceedings of that council of Hertford. In the name of our Lord God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who reigns forever and forever, and governs his church, it was thought meet that we should assemble, according to the custom of the venerable canons, to treat about the necessary affairs of the church. We meet on the 24th day of September, the first indiction at a place called Hertford. Myself, Theodore, the unworthy bishop of the See of Canterbury, appointed by the Apostolic See, our fellow priest and most reverend brother, Bissy, bishop of the East Angles, also by his proxies, our brother and fellow priest, Wilfred, bishop of the nation of the Northumbrians, as also our brothers and fellow priests, Potter, bishop of the Kentish castle called Rochester, Eleutherius, Bishop of the West Saxons, and Winfred, Bishop of the province of the Mercians. When we were all met together and were sat down in order, I said, I beseech you, most dear brothers, for the love and fear of our Redeemer, that we may all treat in common for our faith, to the end that whatsoever has been decreed and defined by the holy and reverend fathers may be inviolably observed by all. This and much more I spoke, tending to the preservation 
of the charity and unity of the church. And when I had ended my discourse, I asked every one of them in order whether they consented to observe the things that had been formally canonically decreed by the fathers. To which all our fellow priests answered, It so pleases us, and we will almost willingly observe with a cheerful mind whatever is laid down in the canons of the Holy Fathers. I then produced the said book of canons, and publicly showed them ten chapters in the same, which I had marked in several places, because I knew them to be of most importance to us, and entreated that they might be most particularly received by them all. Chapter 1 That we all in common keep the holy day of Easter on the Sunday after the fourteenth moon of the first month. Chapter 2 That no bishop intrude into the diocese of another, but be satisfied with the government of the people committed to him. Chapter 3 That it shall not be lawful for any bishop to trouble monasteries dedicated to God, nor to take anything forcibly from them. Chapter 4 That monks do not remove from one place to another, that is, from monastery to monastery, unless with the consent of their own abbot, but that they continue in the obedience which they promised at the time of their conversion. Chapter 5 That no clergyman, forsaking his own bishop, shall wander about, or be anywhere entertained without letters of recommendation from his own prelate. But if he shall be once received and will not return when invited, both the receiver and the person received be under excommunication. That bishops and clergymen, when travelling, shall be content with the hospitality that is afforded them, and that it be not lawful for them to exercise any priestly function without leave of the bishop in whose diocese they are. Chapter 7 That a synod be assembled twice a year, but in regard that several causes obstruct the same, it was approved by all, that we should meet on the 1st of August once a year at the place called Clothoshock. Chapter 8 That no bishop, through ambition, shall set himself before another but that they shall all observe the time and order of their consecration. Chapter 9 It was generally set forth that more bishops should be made as the number of believers increase, but this matter for the present was passed over. Chapter 10 Of marriages, that nothing be allowed but lawful wedlock, that none commit incest, no man quit his true wife, unless as the gospel teaches on account of fornication. And if any man shall put away his own wife, lawfully joined to him in matrimony, that he take no other, if he wishes to be a good Christian, but continue as he is, or else be reconciled to his own wife. The chapters being thus treated and defined by all, to the end, that for the future no scandal of contention, might arise from any of us, or that things be falsely set forth, it was thought fit that every one of us should, by subscribing his hand, confirm all the particulars so laid down, which definitive judgment of ours I dictated to be written by Titulus our notary, 
done in a month and indiction aforesaid. Whosoever, therefore, shall presume in any way to oppose or infringe this decision, confirmed by our consent and by the subscription of our hands, according to the decree of the canons, must take notice that he is excluded from all sacerdotal functions and from our society. May the divine grace preserve us in safety, living in the unity of his holy church. St. Theodore passed in the year 690 due to an illness, and he is celebrated by the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox churches as a saint, with a feast day on September the 19th. Let us read the Anglican Collect for his feast day. Almighty God, who gave your servant Theodore of Tarsus gifts of grace and wisdom to establish unity where there had been division, and order where there had been chaos. Create in your church, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, such godly union and concord, that it may proclaim, both by word and example, the gospel of the Prince of Peace, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, for ever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use so more people can find the Christian Saints podcast and be blessed by these stories of God's saints. To end this episode, let us read a passage from a doctoral dissertation written by the Reverend Robert Whittaker in the University of Edinburgh entitled Theodore of Tarsus. Archbishop of Canterbury, AD 668 to 690. This passage is from the conclusion of that doctoral dissertation. The present writer has no particular enthusiasm for hero worship. Nevertheless, we submit that on the basis of measurable accomplishments, the career of Archbishop Theodore leads the field in the history of the early English church. He was the one man who contributed more than any other individual to the making of the English Church, both by ecclesiastical organization and by training of the clergy. Our estimate, inevitably, must be that of the Venerable Bede, who concluded that there never had been a more happy time since the English first came to Britain. It was an age where there were valiant and Christian kings who were respected by the barbarous nations, while the desires of all were entirely directed to the good news of the kingdom of heaven. It was a day when if anyone wished instruction 
in the reading of the Holy Scriptures, there was no lack of sixteen masters who were ready to teach them. One of those teachers, indeed the greatest of them, was a monk from Tarsus by the name of Theodore. Thank you.